Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Haunted Tales, your weekly dose of horror. We've got everything from ghosts, cryptids, and curses to deals with the devil, giant insects, and more. Sit back and enjoy this week's story after a little message from our friends. November 9th, 1857 I fear this town has lost its mind. It's past eight in the evening already, and I just arrived home. This might be the strangest day of my life as a constable, and I can't help but feel that it is only the beginning. Someone knocked on my door at quarter past six this morning, and the tone of their strikes woke me up in an instant. It sounded like guns going off, like Satan himself had come up from his fiery pit to break down my door. But as I ran and then opened it, there was no one there. Whoever had come here must have run off the moment they heard my footsteps approaching. And all they left behind was a carving knife, sticking in the entrance of my home holding up a single sheet of paper. The ink hadn't even dried yet as I pulled it loose. Three words stood on there, written in shaky handwriting. St. Mary's Church. I grabbed my weapon and the lantern, dressed hastily, and started to run. At first, I thought someone might just be playing tricks on me. Maybe one of the boys must have had too much to drink this past evening. But with every step I took away from my home and into the dark night, I felt more and more dread rising inside of me. It was quiet out here. Far too quiet. Normally, This town prides itself on its tranquility. There are no loud people around, no troublemakers, nothing like that. We might just be maybe 200 souls here, but we take care of each other. At least, that was what I thought about this town yesterday. Today, I am not so sure anymore. I woke up my colleague Jeffrey by banging on his door as I passed by his home. Almost the same way this mysterious person had done with me, I now realize. But at that moment, I didn't care. I wanted someone by my side, someone I could and would trust to keep a level head. Up until then, I hadn't realized how much that strange, scraggly note had rattled me. I heard him coming down from his bedroom with Marianne, his quick, almost panicked steps as I continued hitting his door with my baton, keeping the same frantic rhythm. It took him a few moments to recognize me, 
to run back and get dressed, promising me that he would meet me at the church in a few minutes. Maybe I should have waited. I think so now, at least. But I did not. The strange feeling of urgency was gripping my mind and soul. Something was happening, I knew, and I could not delay. So I turned around and ran, the lantern still in my hand, while the buildings surrounding me seemed different, empty and abandoned. The feeling of being alone, left behind by everyone else, only stopped once I reached the old rusty fence surrounding the church, and I saw it in the moonlight. Two of the graves, either of them more than a generation old, had been opened and were black holes in the ground. The headstones still stood there, untouched, and whoever had dug them up had taken care not to spill the dirt onto the other resting places. But that sight pierced my heart anyway. Before this morning, something like that was unthinkable to me. You hear stories from other towns, cities and such, where people dig up graves for many nefarious purposes. But that doesn't happen here. I jumped a fence and suddenly felt them. Eyes staring at me from the shadows of the darkness. Not just two, but many. I could feel them just as I can feel the quill between my fingers now, writing those words. There is no doubt in my mind that I was not alone in that cemetery, that someone was there with me. I snuck closer to the graves, not daring to run any longer because I was afraid of whoever or whatever was watching me still. They didn't make a sound didn't move, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't pinpoint their location. It was as if they were looking at me from every single dark spot, through every small shrub and from behind the headstones. I snuck closer still, now my baton in my left hand, the lantern in the right, expecting an attack at any moment. But nothing happened. No one stepped forward, and I only realized that I had not announced myself as a man of the law once I reached the opened graves. Yet some part of me still forced me to keep my silence, to not make a noise. Something bad would happen if I raised my voice, it told me, and I kept my mouth shut. Walking into the cemetery, had been another mistake I now found. The feeling of being watched never left me. I felt surrounded, threatened from all sides, yet could do nothing but stand there and wait for Geoffrey to finally show up. Minutes passed. Far longer than he had promised, while the shadows around me seemed to grow darker with every moment. In the weak light of the lantern, I could hardly see more than a few steps. As I glanced down, 
I realized that I couldn't even see the bottom of the holes the perpetrators had dug. One of those two would end up being my grave as well. A voice seemed to whisper close to my ear. Yet as I walled around, I found my surroundings still empty. My eyes wandered over the silhouette of the church, standing there like a dark monolith in the weak moonlight. Thoughts of safety filled my mind. Whatever was here with me wouldn't be able to enter a church. I dared to hope. But as my foot took the first step toward the building, someone else moved out there in the darkness. It was a low, almost inaudible noise, but I was and still am sure that I heard something, someone. Cloth shuffled over one of the headstones. A thick boot touched gravel. I was frozen in place, looked toward it, and felt even worse dread constricting my chest. Something was moving there, and I finally caught a glimpse of it. A long, flowing robe appeared in the moonlight for a split second before it disappeared into the next shadow seemed to vanish as if through witchcraft. I didn't dare to move or shout, but at that exact moment I could hear the sound of hooves clapping over cobblestones approaching. A horse running down the street toward the cemetery, and I knew that Geoffrey would arrive in a few moments. The shadows seemed to move around me, shifting even though there was no more light than before. They pulled back, I thought, feeling the sense of relief, of hope, as the darkness slowly subsided, and I turned and looked, catching a glimpse of my friend and colleague racing toward me. I swear on everything I hold dear that the cemetery I was standing in now looked far brighter than just a few seconds before. Making out the different headstones was easy. I could even see the church, now well lit by the moon. No longer a dark monolith, but a house of God again. Still, the bottom of the holes the people had dug was out of sight. The light of my lantern wasn't enough to see how far they had come or what they had done. Yet even as my friend arrived by my side, neither of us dared to climb down into the open grave. We had to wait there, in the cold, until the sun slowly started to rise and chased away the last of the shadows. Looking down into the graves filled me with unease again. Whoever had dug there had opened the coffins and laid bare remains that should never see the light of day again. We realized quickly that neither of us dared to go down, or even would know what to look for. So we split up, with Jeffrey riding off to get a doctor, while I walked around the cemetery searching for clues. There were four shovels, property of the church, sticking in the mounds of dirt next to the graves. Bootprints littered the area, even though I'm not sure which one had been made by people visiting graves during the day, and which belonged to the wretched scum digging them up at night. Or, 
if they even would leave Prince behind, I thought, and felt the chilly air around me getting colder once more. I started walking up and down the rows of graves, yet found nothing out of the ordinary. Even the spot where I'd seen the thing with its flowing robe showed no sign of anyone walking over the earth. Either I had imagined it, or whoever had been here hadn't touched the ground at all. I walked back out, to the gate of the fence, and kept guard there, making sure no one else would disturb the graves while I waited for Geoffrey to return with the doctor. It took them hours. The doctor, a man named Pavel, had to come from the next town over to help us examine the bones in the grave, and I could finally leave this place to open an official investigation while Geoffrey stayed back to watch over things. I must say, I'm not surprised that the rumours have already started circulating. Officially, we are looking for at least four people and I am toying with the idea of writing to the next bigger police department for help and support. This was not a mere joke, a prank. Whoever dug up those graves has some kind of nefarious purpose. I'm sure of that. The last thing I heard from Geoffrey was that a doctor was taking out the bones and looking them over. Nothing seems to be missing, at least. I just hope that this bad feeling I have won't come true. November 10th, 1857 Geoffrey and the doctor came by today. He has examined the remains and found that there actually was something missing. The so-called hyoid bone has been taken from both graves. It's a small bone the tongue is normally attached to. Nothing else was taken, not even a single other bone disturbed. This is getting bad. There were no more incidents at the cemetery last night, but I can still feel it. A strange pressure binding my chest. Something is wrong. Even after Geoffrey and the doctor left, I kept going over the whole thing again and again, imagining myself digging up a grave during the night will give me nightmares, I reckon. Whoever did this must be well-versed in anatomy, the doctor told me. They must have stood in there, their legs braced against the dirt walls of the grave, careful not to touch anything but that one small bone while working by either lantern light or in complete darkness. No. They wouldn't have used lanterns or candles, right? There was no sign of anything like that, and the people living around the church hadn't seen or heard a single thing either. I will continue asking around tomorrow. It is late already, and I can feel the stress of the past two days making me anxious. If I can't find a clue by the weekend, I will send out a telegram to ask for help. November 11th, 1857 
Strange dreams keep plaguing me. I can hardly remember. Standing there in the hall, my feet balancing on the edges of the open coffin. Last night was bad. I woke up clutching the old rifle I used to hunt with in my hands, and the day got even worse from there. A giant brawl broke out in the pub, right around the time I passed it by while heading to the station this morning. There were far too many people in there for this time of day, but what really shocked me was the brutality of the fight. Thank God Dr. Pavel was still around to take care of the victim. He will need new teeth, and part of his tongue is missing. While the perpetrator, William Keats, now sits in the cell behind me, staring at the wall and refusing to talk. I know him. William, Billy, he would never do something like that. Yet this person sitting behind me seems completely different. There is hate in his eyes. I can hear him gnashing his teeth. We will need to get a judge involved once his victim can get up again. Damned. Still, no clue about the grave robbers, and more and more people seem to avoid me, slamming doors shut in my face or hiding in their homes, not answering at all if I call out to them. It feels like some kind of madness is spreading throughout the town, and at its center is the cemetery. I need to talk to the priest again. November 12th, 1857. William Keats is dead. We found him this morning in his cell and won't be able to use it for the foreseeable future. It happened while Thomas, our apprentice, should have watched him, but the young man claims he heard not a single sound. I don't know if I can believe him. The man tore out his own throat to kill himself. How could he do that without crying out a single time? But I am not sure anymore. After delegating the cleanup of this mess, I went to the church and talked with Father Joseph again. The man looks older now like he aged years in the span of a few days, and I swear I could smell wine on his breath this morning. Three more graves have been dug up, even though there were people around to check in on the cemetery every few hours. I... I just don't know anymore. Are the ones we asked to keep a lookout in on it? If I believe them, it must have happened between four and six o'clock in the morning. Those graves they chose this time were a bit younger than the first ones, but I'm sure Dr. Pavel will find their hyoid bones missing once more. God damn it. I'm running out of ideas. Are they grave robbers? Resurrection men? Or some devil-worshipping heretics? What drives one to do such a thing? Maybe I need to keep watch myself. Spend another night close to the cemetery. Only this time, I will take the rifle with me.
In better news, the victim of William Keats seems to be stable now. Dr. Pavel has been an immense help to us all, and he and Geoffrey are the only two people I can rely on right now. Well, that's not completely true. Josephine, the woman who owns the pub, has been helping me out too. She makes sure I can get food whenever I come in, and even left me a bottle of beer yesterday with a lovely note thanking me. I don't know. It seems like a joke, if I can be honest. How am I helping? I haven't done anything of use these past few days. It feels like all I do is run around and make things worse. Damn, I think I need to go to sleep. The nightmares are bad, but I can feel myself growing tired, and I need to be awake and vigilant tonight if I want to keep watch over the cemetery. November 13th, 1857 Somehow, I failed. I don't know. After sleeping an hour last evening, I got three coats and took post next to the cemetery. Making sure no one would see me, I chose a spot between two houses where I was at least partly safe from the wind and put the rifle down next to me. Hours passed. Nothing happened. From time to time I could see the people we had asked to pass by turning up and looking over the cemetery. But otherwise there was no one. Not a single person entered the premises and after Father Joseph had left, no one else even looked at the graveyard anymore. I kept telling myself to be calm, to wait that if it happened, it would be at around four o'clock. So I stood there and watched the moon rise above, dark clouds passing by and disappearing. It was cold, and I was getting tired. I think I dozed off the first time at around two o'clock. That's when the nightmare set in. What's strange is... I could watch myself sleeping from above, sitting there, my back against the wall of the house, while the whole area got quieter and quieter, until not a single sound remained anymore. I tried waking myself up, looking down at my own sleeping form, because even though it still seemed peaceful, I could feel the world changing. A dark cloud moved in front of the moon, suppressing the light and deepening the shadows. And suddenly, I could feel it again. Those stairs. Eyes looking out at me from the night. Not at my sleeping form. No, at me, hovering above this almost motionless body. I was scared out of my mind and turned around and around, but all I could see were deep shadows and off in the distance the dark silhouette of the church. Movement drew my attention away from the building and back to myself, sleeping below. 
There was something there in the moving darkness. It looked like fingers stretching toward my body, hands and arms slowly creeping closer. Those things whispered something to me. Words I could understand, but dare not repeat. I awoke with a scream, and as I looked around, the shadows were retreating, slinking back into the night as if nothing had happened. But it had. I could feel it. Taking my rifle into my hand, I snuck closer toward the graveyard, and in the pale moonlight I could see six more graves desecrated. Eleven now in total. I had missed it. There was nothing I could do anymore, and I couldn't stand the night any longer. So I ran home and hid like a coward in my house. November 14th, 1857. Noon. This is the sixth day and it is getting worse. Thomas appeared at my home just as the sun started to rise. He was pale, frightened, and told me he had found something. William had left behind a message, scratched into the post of the small cot in his cell. Two words that read, To Martha. That was his wife. Is she involved? I spoke to her afterward, but the poor thing couldn't even form a coherent sentence between the sobs and cries that seemed to change more and more into laughter. The woman has lost her mind, yet somehow she's not the only one. On my way back, I saw three old farmers, stern men, standing on the road, laughing as I passed by. The insanity is spreading. Dr. Pavel is back at the cemetery now, but I'm sure I already know what he will say. All the remains in the newly opened graves will have a bone missing. I can feel it. It's speeding up. It is getting faster while I still stumble after it, uselessly. Josephine brought over some food, this time to the police station. At least, she seemed somber, still in control of her senses. She ate with us, and yet, I don't know how to explain it, but I got this very, very bad feeling as I watched her more closely. There are dark bags under her eyes. Her fingers seemed bruised, the beds of her nails scrubbed raw. Maybe I'm just imagining it. I haven't had a good night's sleep these past days as well. There is much to do. I need to speak to Father Joseph once more, look at more reports of brawls breaking out in the town, see Dr. Pavel about the injured and somehow find a clue about the graves. At least I can keep busy. November 14th, 1857. Nighttime. 
I finally got it. At least a clue. But first things first. Today, I watched a man die. It was William Keats' victim. When I arrived, he was sitting up in bed, trying to eat cold soup. But after he saw me, all hell seemed to break loose. The plate fell out of his grasp as he pointed in my direction and began to laugh. But not in a friendly way. Not even mean-spirited, no. He was spraying like an animal until his head turned red and his lips blue. I tried touching him, but he moved away and blocked my hands. Words were coming out between the bursts of laughter. Dark words. Ones I've heard before. Back then as I was sleeping next to the graveyard. He screamed one last time, and as his fingers burrowed deep into the flesh of his throat, he finally collapsed rolled out of bed and died on the floor. I don't think I will ever sleep again. There wasn't much I could do. But damn and all, I still feel like a failure. Heading to the church anyway. I found Pavel and told him what had happened. He turned his face away but I could see his shoulders and back moving as if he was stifling a laugh. It is growing. But the trip wasn't all bad. As I said, I finally found something. Around Father Joseph's neck. The old man tried to invite me to one of his meetings. He has been busy those past few days visiting people in their homes and reading mass to small portions of the congregation, one after another. Yet, the strange feeling came over me again. I stopped him and grabbed him by the collar as I saw something move beneath his frock. He tried to fight me off, to scream, but I managed to pull out this necklace before he could utter a sound. It was a bone, and after hearing Pavel talk about it for days, I recognized it instantly. Shaped like a deformed letter U, it hung from this piece of leather he had kept hidden around his neck. He tried to stop me from leaving, stretched out his hands to take it back, but I pushed him off of me. The men begged and pleaded while kneeling on the floor like a petulant child. I know I should have asked him about it, but his words became wailing cries, and I could feel this rage building inside me, so I turned and left. The bone talisman is now lying in front of me, on my desk, while my rifle leans against my chair, loaded and ready to be fired. He hasn't dared comfort yet, but something tells me that he will. If I make it to tomorrow, I will ask around. Who else has a talisman like that? How and why did they take those bones out of the graves? So many questions. 
But finally, I feel like I'm moving in the right direction. November 15th, 1857. Noon. Father Joseph is dead. He made it as far as the town square before collapsing and doing something to himself. I found the body as the sun rose, stiff, the hatchet still clasped in his hand, his head pointing toward my house. People are dancing in the streets, laughing and cackling. This whole town has gone mad. I could feel it as well. A chuckle built in my throat as I saw the dead priest. At least I can't remember my dreams anymore. More graves have been dug up during the night, but I don't care. All that matters now is finding the one behind it all. There are only a handful of people not laughing, grinning, dancing or singing, and they all wear those damn talismans. I can see their leather straps peeking out from beneath their attire. My rifle is now slung around my shoulder. Their glances follow me as I pass them by. Yet they stay together, not giving me a chance to talk with one of them on my own. I need to find the source. November 15th, 1857. Evening. They are congregating. I have found them. In Josephine's bar. The masks are off now. They wear their talismans openly in there. I have taken refuge in the police station. Jeffrey and Thomas aren't with me anymore. They have joined Josephine. Dr. Pavel tried to leave the town. I couldn't allow that. This madness had already infected him. I can feel the stares of invisible eyes now on me, yet every time I hold the talisman closer, they disappear. The laughter vanishes, yet I don't feel safe. Something is grabbing hold of me, slowly. Outside I can see people lying in the streets. The righteous are dying and only the wicked will survive. I need to stop this. Pluck the evil out by its roots. I think it's time. If someone finds this, turn around and run away. If you feel laughter building in your throat, painful yet unavoidable, do yourself a favor and make it a quick end. Do not go back to your family. You will only put them in danger. Someone is knocking at my door. My rifle is still in my hand. I can do this. November 15th, 1857. Midnight. My hands are shaking. But I am still alive. Yet, I don't know for how long. Josephine has come to me. 
alone. She entered the station unarmed and without malice. At least, that was what she claimed. So we sat down, and she started to talk. About the creeping insanity, the voices in the dark, fingers stretching out in shadows, and a new god living in the church. The one who protects, she called it. This is heresy, I told her, yet she just shrugged her shoulders. It is the only way, she replied. Choose the new god or die by going insane. She didn't seem bothered. Must have stepped over countless corpses to reach the station. Yet she was completely at peace. Again, she offered me a talisman to join her and her congregation. Spread the words of the new god. Creeping insanity is just a test. One only the willing will survive. An offering to the new god, the god of laughter. A bone that held a voice before. I couldn't listen anymore. She screamed as I pulled up the gun, and in her final moments, as my bullet shattered first her talisman, then pierced her heart. Her cries turned into laughter. Shut. They will come for me. I can feel it. But there are still things to do. I need to block the road, to put up a sign warning everyone off. This town is cursed. A new god has taken up residence in these lands. I need to make sure no one spreads his word. This place shall be turned into a grave instead of the birthplace of a new religion. I will take care of that. Here is my final warning. Do not enter this town. If you find this book still nailed to the sign at the entrance, know that I have been successful. You will find nothing here but death and decay. Do not take another step. If you want to mourn, do so someplace far away. The new god cannot be allowed to flourish. I would rather be forgotten than help the spread of something we cannot stop once it begins. Pray for me and run away. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's story. If you did, please consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com slash hauntedtalespod. If you have anything to share with us, be it comments, story ideas you would like to hear, or just cute pictures of your pet, you can find all of our social media links in the episode descriptions. Until next time.